We've got a lot of ground to cover this week, so let's just crack on without a proper intro because I can't think of one. Uh, welcome to Thunder Pod. Sam Kelly, welcome ladies and gents to episode 155 of the internet's finest and only Argentine football podcast. Uh, we are joined this week by my most reliable um, employees, I won't say employees actually because that I'm paying you, but uh, <laughs> by my most reliable cohorts, uh, Peter Hello. and Andres. Hello sir. And uh, we have a special guest this week and we have to uh, introduce another nickname to things because having had once upon a time when this podcast was born an English Dan and an Australian Dan and then having had a, a sever for a long time we now have an Australian sever um, <laughs> welcome uh, Sebastian I've forgotten your surname Hassett Hassett um, uh, Seb what are you doing here uh, I, I'm on holiday uh, I was at the World Cup I was covering that for my newspaper which is the Sydney Morning Herald and uh, we did that uh, yeah, right through to the end, but uh, fell in love uh, so much with this glorious continent that you call home that I uh, decided to stick around for a bit longer and, yeah, thought I'd uh, have a good look at the place. And you've been going around a fair bit because you only got to Argentina last week. Yeah. So yeah. where else have you, have you been in the kind so, of months or so in between? So after, uh, after Brazil, I, I flew up to Colombia and had a good look around up there. Got to see uh, my team Millenarios play which was uh, quite a highlight, and then uh, worked my way over to Peru, then through Bolivia, uh, through Chile briefly, and then through the north of Argentina, went to, uh, went to Salta, and then found my way down here. And how have you found Buenos Aires so far? Fantastic. It's actually exceeded all my expectations. I'm not sure, well, I'm not sure what I had in, in mind, but I thought it would be a slightly more uh, chaotic and disorganised place in a, in a way, but... Uh, Look, I don't live here, so I'm sure. If, I'm sure if you live here, it comes with all sorts of uh, with all sorts of problems. But I've just had a, a wonderful time. I've just been blown away by how how beautiful it is and uh, and how nice it is. Although the place I'm playing, I'm staying in, in in Palermo, probably gives me a slightly false impression of, uh, of how nice this, this city is. Far be it from us to say. Um, did you get to any Argentina games during the World Cup? Ah uh, yeah, oh, well, I'm contractually obliged to ask this, of course, being an Argentine football. Absolutely. Well, I, I as it as it happened, I, I made it to the final. So, um, and my job in that one was actually to, to follow Messi around for the whole game, not uh, theoretically, of course, but um, it was something that uh, yeah, that was uh, I guess my boss was was it was interested to know yeah, this is his moment this is is this going to be the maradona moment of 86 if you will like mm-hmm. is, is this going to be that time so if it is we want to cover it and if it's not then yeah is it potentially a, a shortcoming of of his legacy when we look back on it and then sort of thrown into the mix was him getting voted player of the tournament afterwards which really sort of added to a unique sort of tournament for him because some might argue that uh, he, he shone early on and then, and then later on perhaps struggled a, a little bit. I thought he, I thought he played you know, reasonably well. Was he deserving of player of the tournament? Probably not. That's one thing I 
perhaps to agree with Diego on. I know he panned him for that, or panned the judges for that. Um, but yeah, it was a it was it was great to watch them play. I was. I can assure you I was supporting them. I think it was pretty hard not to be enthralled by the Latin teams in the tournament and would have been so fitting to have a Latin winner, unfortunately it wasn't to be. No, indeed. And of course we'll get on to the, um, the sequel to the final a little bit later because we've got a hell of a lot to cover this week in more or less chronological order. Um, stalwart listeners who listened to last, last week's unusually sober and short episode uh, will be aware that it was recorded on Monday afternoon and went online on Tuesday ahead of the fourth yes the fourth round of um, the Doneo de Transición uh, with myself and English Dan only and we were previewing a couple of things we completely forgot to preview or didn't really sort of have the, the time to preview the uh, Avesanea Clásico which was at the weekend in the fifth round um, but we do have two rounds of action to, to look through um, and so beginning with round four, normally we'd brush over the midweek round, but there was, there was rather a large event you know, during round four, so we're going to try and, uh, and look at that at least. Um, we had a bunch of, well, no, one or two um, uh, rather less important or less eye-catching uh, results. Belgrano nil, Gimnasia nil was a fairly dull game. Racing um, and Independiente both picked themselves up from those crushing 4-0 defeats of the previous weekend um, and both managed to win ahead of the Clásico, or Independiente, with two late goals, turning it round against Olimpo, 2-1 away from home, uh, and Racing with a... Late penalty. An, an iffy late penalty, according to almost everybody. I, I don't really agree it was iffy, to be honest. I thought it was... Strange, uh, because they, they were benefited by referee, uh, or uh, uh, at least from Arsenal supporters, Racing was... Uh, well, every, every non-Racing fan seemed to say, oh, that wasn't a handball, and it clearly was. But it's, really it's, it's, what the fuss was about. What I was going to say is that it's funny how they are benefit one week and the other they are... Indeed, and we'll, we'll, we'll get on to that um, yes. when, we, when we talk about round five in a second. Um, but uh, first of all, uh, Godoy Cruz got a 1-0 win away to Central in Rosario. Uh, Newell's old boys went 3-0 up and then almost threw it away and ended up winning 3-2 away to Atletico de Rafaela. Uh, River Plate, who we're going to talk about in a little bit more depth later on, beat Defensa Justicia 3-0. Estudiantes beat Boca Juniors 3-1. Banfield beat Tigre 1-0. Veres beat Lanús 1-0. And San Lorenzo got an away win 3-0 over Quilmes, which was their first victory since winning the Copa Libertadores a couple of weeks previously. Um, in the meantime, of course, they'd already they'd, they'd lost their round two and three matches, both 2-0. And they have yet to play their first round match. Um... The big result, however, of that midweek was last Wednesday, yes, um, in La Plata with Estudiantes 3-1 victory over Boca Juniors, which was remarkable for a couple of reasons. First of all, because Estudiantes are rubbish in attack and scored three goals, and it just underlined even further how bad Boca were. Um, and secondly, oh, also because Joaquin Correa, uh, who opened the scoring with a, a very, very nicely worked goal indeed. Um, and secondly, because after we've been asking for such a long time how much longer can we actually hang on for, he's clinging on by the skin of his teeth, when are they going to sack him, when are they going to sack him? He'd have been sacked six months ago if he wasn't Carlos Bianchi. He was sacked the following day. Um, he's out. We don't have any Boca fans. Are you a Boca fan, sir? Uh, nominally, you might say, though I, I didn't want to commit to it 
too soon without having seen them play live, and I still haven't achieved that. I've only been watching them on the TV here, so <laughs> I didn't want to claim that too early. Because I think every visitor to Buenos Aires probably does. Well, yes, that, that, would, that would have been the reply, yeah. Um, so we, we don't have any sort of full Boca fans um, here at the moment, but I think we were all slightly surprised. No, I was a bit surprised when I heard it. Not because, as I say, of the form, but the fact that it came after a midweek round with only a couple of days to prepare for the next match. If we you knew talk, it was coming at some point before talking, talking specifically and only about how Boca... Eh, eh, played during all these 18 months, we can't be surprised. And I am uh, also or n neither surprised because of the media reaction in terms of how they are asking, asking all the time whether he will be uh, sacked. And when he's sacked, uh, well, projects are not respect and, and the time a manager needs to work is, is not enough. And well, but you have been talking about media, uh, asking all the time if he, he was going to be sacked. Yeah. Uh, so... And then, of course, the, the following, uh, for the announcement, Boca announced a press conference at 7pm on Thursday, which was exactly the same time as uh, Vélez versus Manu's kicked off, which meant that a lot of people sort of ignored the first 10 or 15 minutes of that match. Um, no, it wasn't, sorry, it was 15 minutes before it kicked off, because that kicked off at 7.15. Um, because I didn't miss any of it but I did watch the press conference and in it Boca Juniors president Daniel Angelisi um, who the previous day it had been said had received a rather angry email or phone call from Mauricio Macri saying why haven't you sacked him yet uh, <laughs> gave, a, gave a press conference in which I think it took him about 12 minutes into the press conference before he used the word Bianchi he just continued to call him Carlos over and over and over and over again um, which underlines in a way the reason that, that Bianchi stayed at the club for so long right I mean as we said if he wasn't Carlos Bianchi he'd have probably been let go six months ago if not before that um, and so it, it, it also really underlines the I, I think the, the attitude that the, the directors have um, of why they let him hang on for too long no yes. it's they're not a well run club at present as an institution well, this, this is underlined by you know Macri, as we say, who regular listeners will know, is, is the mayor of Buenos Aires, but is also the, 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 the previous president of Boca, and is very much seen as the kind of Angelisi as his man, so to speak. I don't remember just the match in which Bianchi was like claimed by, by Boca supporters. There was a match in which Falcioni was still the, the manager, mm. and Boca supporters unanimously uh, called for Bianchi, so what did Angelisi do? Call Bianchi. Yeah. So he like heard heard people uh, asking for uh, to put it in other words, and 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 so uh, we cannot say or Boca supporters can't say he was unpopular or he didn't do what uh, the the socios or members want because what the, they they all the, they say all the time socios or members are the real owners of the club well mm. in this case <laughs> those the owners decided Bianchi to to go to the to the club and, and be again be the, 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 the manager again uh, and if it was up to those owners yes. in inverted commas he'd still be there now wouldn't he he's not lost any of his popularity at all yes. um, and we're not suggesting that he should have done because of course the the backstory before this current uh, just under two year spell 
of uh, underwhelming uh, stuff. He, he took charge in December 2012, so it's been well, much less than two years, in fact, but over a year and a half. Um, is that in his previous spells between 1998 and 2004, I think. There was yeah, a small gap in between uh, where he went away for a season or half a season. Um, but during that time, he became Boca Juniors' most successful manager ever. The most successful manager ever in Argentine club football. Three Copa Libertadores, two uh, European South American Cups or Intercontinental Cups, and five... Uh, Uh, local tournaments and this obviously came after the success that he'd had with Vélez a couple of years before yes. and this was another thing the timing of letting him go because who, who did Boca play at the weekend Vélez Sarsfield in La Monera on the 20th anniversary of Bianchi's first Copa Libertadores win with Vélez Sarsfield yes. um, so it was all sort of it, it, was, uh, it was fantastic if you wanted to find something to write an article about last, last week let's say Um, for one of your employers, as somebody did, he's sitting at this table. Um, I, I must say that probably, he, even with Bianchi in the bench, uh, Boca would win the, the same. Because Vélez, in the last uh, couple of, well, two or three matches played at La Monera were, were, were horrible. I don't know about that. The, the reason that Andres says this, of course, is that Vélez came on Sunday um, during the fifth round, the rest of which we'll get on to in a minute. Uh, and they were beaten, had their asses handed to them really, 3-1. Um, all the goals came in the second half, didn't they? Well, no, the, the first one was the, the Correa yeah, uh, from Vélez, a golazo, a very beautiful goal from outside the, 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 the box. Yes. And then Boca turned around there. But, um, that, I mean, that came after um, Vélez had, had been thoroughly outplayed even in the first half, even though they took the lead towards the end. I think it was their second shot on goal, possibly. Um, right at the very end of the half and Boca really just looked so much better but I'm not convinced that they would have won under Bianchi because uh, the man who's replaced him is Rodolfo Arroa Barrena um, who is not an easy man to pronounce if you can't roll your R's properly like me um, but he's the former Tigre manager he's former Nacional manager in Uruguay um, and he's been out of management looking for a job for a year or so um, he is a Boca legend I think he's one of the all time top 10 appearance holders or something for Boca, isn't it? Yeah. Something like that. Let's look him up. Um, I think I'm right. I hope I'm right. I'm going to sound very silly. And he came in. He shifted the, the squad around from Bianchi's sort of rather staid 4-4-2, roughly, slash 4-3-1-2, to, um, to a much more kind of just modern-looking 4-3-3. Uh, Um, they looked a lot better and he, and he shifted some key players around as well uh, Jonathan Caleri started up front for the first time ahead of Emmanuel Gigliotti and Juan Manuel Martinez had been the strikers before um, he found a way of getting uh, both of the, the kids Acosta and uh, Carrizo both on the pitch at the same time they, they went wide on either flank um, and I just thought Boca looked so they looked like a different team yes um, and the key player who was a Uh, one of the best uh, players, one man of, man of the match, I would say, is Nicolas Colasso, the left uh, back. Uh, he was he's more left mid midfielder, but in this case, Arrobarena, like many other times, uh, decided to put him in the, in the, more in defense, and he was one of the uh, of the uh, uh, men of the match. And, and Bianchi didn't consider him as even uh, coming from the bench. 
No. That's that's strange because a player that wasn't even like uh, uh, getting him off the freezer, <laughs> the fridge, <laughs> uh, and, and and being playing the, the way he played it was remarkable. Wikipedia says nothing about Adorado Barrera's a number of appearances that I can find on a quick skim through that he was a very key player in Bianchi's yeah. teams of a decade or so ago and scored twice in the final um, of the Copa Libertadores 2000. So there you go. Told you it was important for them. And he's a fan favourite. Um, which is going to get him some sort of added credit as well and take some of the pressure off him if, if results start, uh, don't go the same way as well. But, you know, we, we've been campaigning on Hand of Pod for some time um, albeit it's a fairly fruitless campaign because nobody in Argentina listens to us because uh, we're in English and because we're not listened to by many people <laughs> but um, we, we have been campaigning nonetheless for a slightly more modern looking Argentine football and, and for clubs to not go always searching for the old guys who mm. had loads of success 10 or 15 years ago Ronaldo Merlo at Racing and indeed River Carlos Bianchi at Boca Ramon Diaz at River and little by little now, they, they, these guys are starting to go Diaz and Bianchi both came in almost at the same time to River and Boca they had rather different levels of success it has to be said Bianchi obviously uh, uh, Bianchi did what, what he did and um, and Diaz has, has won the title whether ever played before stepping down um, and it's I think telling that both of those clubs both of the two giants have now got managers succeeding their former, well, I mean, their current greatest ever manager in both Ramon Diaz for River and Carlos Bianchi for Boca. The guys who've come in to succeed them this time are much younger. They've both been Nacional managers in the past in Uruguay, bizarrely. Um, but they're, they're much younger, they're, they're hungry, they're eager to learn. They've already done you know, a lot of courses. They've been to, to Europe, they've been to other countries to, to look around and see how football's done there. They've talked to other managers. Um, and, and they're able to learn, and it looks like they're able to adapt. I don't know about Reina, we've only got a, a sample size of one match so far, but the way that he just, as I say, changed the system, changed the team, changed some fairly key players in the team and in key positions, they've got a far better performance out of them, is promising. And obviously Gachado, we've already seen in, in, I think it's eight matches he's been in charge now for River, has just, they were good when he took them over and he's taken them up a level again. And showed the willingness to adapt, because in his first couple of matches, one in the Copa Argentina, one in the league, um, he he played uh, Leonardo Poncio in midfield and left Kranovita on the bench and he's changed that Kranovita came back into the side because after the first match in the league Gachado realised Kranovita needs to be starting ahead of Poncio um, so it shows a willingness to, to, to bring things forward and I think that's, that's promising um, if we had a Boca fan here then I'm sure that, that they would agree that Boca's fan generally as, as I mentioned aren't going to be uh, looking back and blaming Carlos Bianchi specifically for anything. He's certainly not going to have lost any of the fondness that, that the club's fans held him in. But does he deserve any of the blame, do we think? Because, yeah, he's not got a great squad to work with, but he'd been in charge of the squad for the, let's see, came in in December 2012, so that summer, then winter 2013, then last summer. So he's been in charge of the squad for four transfer windows. Yeah. And it's very difficult to look at the squad that he took over and the squad he's got now and say that it hasn't got worse um, whilst he's been there he, he, I think he could enjoy a, a, perhaps one of the few players he, cho he chose uh, in my opinion correct, correctly which is uh, Federico Carrizo from Rosario Central then it was 
the, the, he chose or perhaps he could uh, or, or Boca could buy or sign players mm -hmm. which were cheap or not very very expensive in, in uh, inside the Argentina market or, or, or teams but, but they also signed some players who were the kind of signings that you could say yeah he's had a good season this, these are the kind of clubs who historically River and Boca would have been would have been making these signings but Guillermo Bordizzo Matias Caruso, both of whom were disastrous and both of whom were next to each other in the middle of defence. Lots of defenders, Claudio Perez, Claudio Perez, Chiqui Perez. Yeah. Uh, uh, then, um, well, now it's Mariana Echeverria, then Daniel Diaz, who was a crap up to the last match. Hmm. Then, uh, well, uh, uh, yes, don't, I don't remember right now, but it was it were a lot, lot of players. Too many players with no the, the quality assurance of, that they will put on their the Boca t-shirt and, and, and play like for example of course we can say the other round that River uh, signed only Pisculici and well Chiarini which is the who is the, the, the substitute of Barbero the goalkeeper but the player key players like not very lot of players, not a lot of players, but the key players or, or players that you have some warranty that they will do good. <coughs> not, a, not a lot of players, only a few, but good. Absolutely. Um, from what we've seen, as we say so far, about Reynolds Boca, um, it looks promising. And the other thing, of course, that we've been talking about Boca. Yes, Andres and I are at the plate fans, Peter's an independent, they found none of the regulars who come on here are Boca fans and we all enjoy in our, in our own heads seeing them do badly, obviously, we recognise this, we don't deny it. It's not convenient for you to be a Boca fan right now. <laughs> <laughs> but but when, we, when we do talk about them, we, we try and sort of put a, a relatively neutral uh, hat on as, as well and, and, and look at some things dispassionately. And one thing that we've been saying about them for a long time is that, that they haven't got over Juan Román Riquelme. They needed to get over him at least a year or two ago. Um, and for most of last season, it seemed like their entire attacking philosophy was based around trying to win set pieces for Riquelme to take. And for the first five matches of this season, four matches of this season, sorry, it looked like the same thing, which is much more difficult to do when he's not in your squad, when he's moved to Argentina Juniors. Um, it's not a great way of building a team around a player who isn't playing for your team. Um, we saw the first kind of glimmerings of, of, of movement away from that as well I think on Sunday which is the really encouraging thing you know getting getting rid of, of, of the reliance on the enganche by playing a system which doesn't involve an enganche at all and which actually gets the best out of the players you have got uh, I think is, is a far uh, better way of looking at things now yeah I mean I'm not getting too carried away on the just on the basis of that game Oh no, I'm um, trying to draw yeah, yeah. conclusions as we can from one game. Yeah, you know, yeah, when Boca lose five men at the weekend, um, and all that, they, but because I, I mean, I think looking at their opponents and Bellas, I think their position in the league table after four matches, being the only team with a hundred percent record, was slightly misleading in the sense that they hadn't actually played that well in those four games. Mm. And like even the, even even that game, the, the one game which jumps out of their four first four pitches is four 0 against Independiente, but. I mean that was nil nil at half time, fairly even, and then independent in the second half were just terrible. It was like playing. Would you say diabolical? I would, yeah. I'd go that far. I would go that far. That's that's. Um, and I'm uh, more proud of that part. Than I should be sorry. Carry on. 
But yeah, I mean, for that reason, and, and even actually the game on Sunday against Belez, but for for all of the things that we're highlighting, is there were nice changes about Boca. They needed a bit of luck to actually have the breakthrough against Belez. I mean, mm. the opening goal was a mistake by Salsa spilling the spilling the ball. Um, and then I think even the second one was either a defensive mistake or... But no, when they just completely left Catadillas. I mean, the one person you're going to mark from a Boca set piece <laughs> and they leave him with a free header in five as, yards as, out. As I remarked on Twitter when it was scored, Vélez defended it like the Antis Boca defending a set piece. Yeah. That's been their main weakness, their most obvious weakness throughout his time there. Um, but anyway, yeah, to Boca may or may not be on, on the way back up. Um, there are, of course, 19 other sides in the Primera for now. <laughs> this time next year, there'll be 31 other sides in the Primera, for fuck's sake. But, um, 29 other. No, 31. It's only 32. Yeah. There's no relegation <laughs> at the end of the season, but the lower divisions threw a hissy fit and said that they didn't want to play half a year for nothing, so they're getting two promotions with, without any relegation. For one season, there's going to be 32 teams in the Primera, and then they're going to have four down, two up. So it gets back down to a more sensible number of 30 uh, for 2015 to 16. Um, but there were, of course, nine other matches apart from Boca versus Vélez at the weekend. Um, and those were uh, all on Saturday and Sunday, apart from the last three, which were on Monday and which were the best argument I have yet seen for abolishing Monday football. They were appalling. Um, but we'll get on to them at the end of the of the list. First of all, on Saturday we had a 2-0 victory for Gimnasia over Godoy Cruz. We had a 3-1 win for Rosario Central away to Defensa Justicia. Newell's Old Boys scraped a 1-0 victory against Estudiantes. And then on Sunday, Belgrano 3 Atletico de Rafaela 0. We'll skip one because it was the Clásico. Uh, we've mentioned Boca versus Vélez already. 3-1 to Boca. San Lorenzo went 1-0 up very early on at home to River Plate. Um, and were then blown away. I was slightly surprised because, as uh, Peter says, that Vélez's former decent record had been very good, but potentially slightly misleading. I thought the same thing about River. Very good performances, but none against any uh, really good teams up to that point. Draw with him away to Ignacy on the first weekend, followed by two victories over sides that River would have expected to be you know, a, a club of River's size. Of reputation and their own opinion of themselves they'd have expected to win those games even playing badly as it was they wanted to play well uh, but I thought this would be a bit more challenging and it didn't prove to be so because they came back and they won 3-1 and I believe that our special guest star was there were you not sir? I was I managed to uh, sneak my way in uh, courtesy of uh, the the press officer at San Lorenzo who helped me get in which was very kind of her and uh, Look, I really thought uh, look, going into this was just a tremendous sense of excitement around the stadium that you could you could feel that you know, River were coming. They were, they were obviously trying to get to the top of the league, and, and there was this there was a sense I think among the supporters, certainly the ones that I spoke to, they felt felt that they could get them. I'm, I'm not particularly sure why. I don't know the intricacies of it, but they certainly were justified early. They came straight out of the blocks, got the early goal, looked great, uh, probably for the opening ten to fifteen, and. This was not the river that I, I I'd certainly seen uh, a few days before when they when they won three uh, nil. Uh, and because right, you, you went to the defensive match as well, I, I was trying to get in. I couldn't get in, so I had to watch it in a local bar. But in, in seeing that, they were they were just like a hurricane. They're incredible. Mm. Uh, but then, 
Look, I've got to give massive credit to the manager because the way he organised the team from that moment on was almost like, guys, okay, stop, we're going to start again. Let's get our foot on the ball. Uh, and the number eight, Sanchez, yeah. uh, was just, he was he was marvellous. He, he was the one who was controlling the game, the tempo. Sort of, he dictated what was going to happen. He was spraying balls around left, right and centre. He was in, interchanging with everything. When they had to play on the break, whether they had to play with possession, they were, they were super impressive. And for them to dig themselves out of that predicament that they were in, away from home, against the team that's just won the, the Libertadores, I thought was a a really, uh, just a, a sign of their character, but they were well-organised tactically. They just, they, they seemed, everyone seemed to know their jobs really, really well. And yeah. that's always a sign, I think, of a team that's very well-managed. And um, relatively quickly, they managed to do it as well, because Mauro Matos' goal came in the fifth minute. Mm-hmm. They were level in the 11th with that fantastic volley from Leonardo Piscolici yeah. and by the time they scored that they'd also had a legitimate penalty shot turned down yeah. which should have been given. Um, so it wasn't just a sort of it wasn't coincidence when, when the equaliser went in. Uh, sorry, I think it should have been given. Does anybody disagree? Yeah, no, I think it. Sorry, I'm just, uh, just moving the microphone across the cable there without wanting to. Um, there, there were a few people getting rather angry about it saying, oh he's dived but um, I think when not one but two cent- central defenders stick that exam on trip, yeah. Yeah, and he was six. Bay, is <laughs> without the contact, he was like six yards out with the goal in front of him. I mean, it was a. <laughs> it was a goal scoring opportunity. Yeah. Um, Teo got the goal of his own. It was Teo who was tripped. Uh, he mm. got a goal of his own in the 58th minute, and Lucas Bosche. The, the youngster um, headed in a Pisculici free kick. I think it was Pisculici. Um, no, it was, it was Tomas Martinez. Oh, Tomas Martinez, yeah, you're right, of course, because he's the other kid the, the, who, in fact, has been given the number 10 shirt for the um, Copa Sudamericana campaign. Um, so remember that name. Uh, the two youngsters combining for Martinez's first assist and Boche's first goal um, in the Primera, which underlines what we said a week or two ago as well about how Gachardo is is getting into the point where the scene, the first 11 are good, they get into a fairly comfortable lead, and then Gachardo sends the kids on to get the experience of playing with less pressure on them. Yes. Um, and and so far it's it's bearing fruit. It was also with less pressure, but at the same time giving them more every day more responsibilities. Mm. To well, you are you are playing for River. You mm. are just starting. You are you are kids, but you have to. Every so why every it's a classic against San Lorenzo. Yes. Um, yeah, you, you need to step up at some point. Um, it's also it means that River have now won. As many, sorry, they've claimed as many victories away from home during the Torneo de Transición so far as they did in the whole of the Torneo Final, which they won. Um, they managed two wins away from home in the Torneo Final. They've won two out of three so far in the Torneo de Transición, and of course drawn the other, as I said, against Tignasi on the opening weekend. Um, so again, if you're looking for signs that Gachardo has improved them from the level they have and we we may need to 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 also. Uh, see how many goals they have scored in the in the, in the last uh, tournament because of course they won't score uh, three or four goals every match but they have scored th- 13 in five matches which is uh, the first match perhaps is it gets the average a bit down because it was 1-1 one, one, uh, draw against Gimnasia then it was 3-4-2 uh, every every match was they were scoring more than one goal. Uh, so if the, the tendency uh, keeps like this, we will have to, to, to see, to compare that in, uh, 
also. Well, one comparison you can make already is that they scored their 10th goal, was the third one against Defensa Justicia in the fourth round last week. Um, and it, that was in the fourth round. And in the Donel final, it took them until nine rounds to hit 10 goals. Uh, so they're scoring at roughly twice the rate they were against more or less the same teams as well because the, the fixtures were in the same order obviously Defensio Stisia uh, weren't in the Primera I think it was Colón that they played in the fourth round of the Donnell final if I remember right um, and they've also got the best defence in the same order and they've only let in two goals in, in five matches as well um, so it's looking good for Gachardo's River so far um, the other Sunday match of course that I mentioned that we would skip over and then come back to was the Avellaneda Clásico um, it was, uh, there were rumours before the match, I saw one of the Independiente fan accounts, it was in Independiente Stadium, which of course means it's only Independiente fans going in, and I saw an Independiente fan account tweet, nobody is to buy any flares or uh, smoke canisters outside the stadium tomorrow, <laughs> because we've heard rumours that there are going to be infiltrados, infiltrated fans from Racing, dressed up in Independiente kits and selling canisters that look red on the outside and when you let them off <laughs> that goes sky is this and I was really disappointed that nobody fell for it because that would have been just the most hilarious thing is this like a a, a common thing because oh. when you tweeted that I, I thought I've heard this story before like uh, when I was living over in La Matanza Vera's brother who's an Elmerante Brown supporter told me about the same exactly the same story of I can't remember whether it was Amaranto on the way to Chicago or someone in that yeah. doing exactly the same scam. And they were using Mercado Libre to say, I'll buy your flares here for the Classico. And then they ended up being the colours of the other team. Oh, brilliant. And that's brilliant. when you said that, I thought, oh, maybe this is a common thing in the... I was disappointed that it didn't end up happening anyway. Uh, but when the match um, ended up uh, kicking off, it, it was it was an entertaining one. Uh, it was delayed by about five minutes by all the toilet paper all over the pitch. Um, <laughs> Which caused a rather amusing injury later on, but uh, fairly early in the game, 13 minutes in, Diego Milito gave Racing the lead, he got booked for celebrating in the fans' faces, I think, rightly, to be honest, given the problems that Argentine football has with fan control. Uh, no, but it was... Uh, <laughs> let's not go over what Dan is, and he's happy about his lot here. Um, but Independiente picked themselves up and um, were quite impressive, I thought, actually. As a neutral, I thought they deserved the victory. Peter, no doubt, you were. Yeah, I mean, it was... Wasn't the best of matches. No, um, it should be said. Um, the tension of the classic got added to the entertainment. Yeah, of plus the fact that I wasn't supporting it with the teams and uh, watching the various uh, pratfalls was was quite amusing. Uh, we may as well talk about the the hilarious injury that I mentioned, which was uh, Sergio Escudero during the first half, who was running the ball down the left hand side of the pitch, going down towards the corner flag. Um, and then in his excitement got right to the byline right at the corner flag swung his left foot in to, to make a cross and kicked the corner flag instead of the ball um, and had to be substituted off about two minutes later with, with a bruised instep uh, which was on the one hand I kind of sympathised with him because there was a lot of ticket tape paper or toilet paper or whatever it was that was white I can see how you know in a moment of a very quick moment with the blazing sun the white corner flag blended into the background he might not have seen it but it didn't stop it being absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Even if that was what happened, which I kind of doubt, to be honest. I mean, there's a red flag at the top of it, that's the clue, yeah. surely. That, that is one of the places that you choose in order to, to, to uh, then make a video of the place, curious or, or funny place of the, of the season and, 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 and watch them uh, by the end of the year. And it happened in the 
such important match like in the, in the wrestling. So yes, it's it's really really strange. I saw somebody afterwards tweeting a, a map of the world, with you've probably seen it as well, uh, with the legend at the bottom. Countries in which professional football players pick up injuries by kicking the corner flag. Well, we have to remember uh, Martin Palermo. I think he was playing. For, I know if Betis or Villarreal. Yeah, it was when he was at Betis. And he uh, kicking. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, uh, right, Villarreal. Yeah, I thought it was mm. Betis. No. Bichar, kicking yeah. a, 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 an advertising banner. Uh, he got injured too, and it was serious injury. Yeah. Well, he broke his ne- neck, never he, he jumped up onto, never, never jumped up onto a perimeter yeah. wall to celebrate with the fans and it collapsed and he broke <laughs> his leg. Uh, so yes, uh, no end of, of hilarious injuries, but it does mean, of course, that Independiente um, claimed the bragging rights in Avellaneda. It's difficult to suspect that that's going to be about as far as the bragging rights go this season for either of those teams. Yeah. Neither of them are particularly good. No, I mean, um, Racing's like, opening season Optimism, I think, is very rapidly <laughs> less gone away. The Racing's optimism, but yeah, I mean, I thought Racing were, were very poor in in the second half. Con- considering that Independiente spent most of the second half gifting the ball to Racing. No, I mean, I, I was and allowing to have the initiative, and Racing just totally failed to take advantage. Absolutely, they, they just kept on chucking balls into the box. There's there's nothing more. I think Rob Brown, who, who came on a few times earlier in the year made, made the point that there's nothing quite as desperate as watching Racing when they desperately need a goal just yeah. pelting the ball towards the six yard box and it never never works it, it just struck especially me. after the off as well it really struck me uh, all derbies frenetic around the world this one was just played at such a slightly ridiculously breakneck speed in the second half where both teams were sort of going for it. I thought Independiente they were a little bit more convincing but Racing were just throwing the ball away when they needed just a, just a little bit of composure. Somebody to settle everyone down and go, guys, we're still in it, when, you know, we, we can do this sort of thing. But they were really throwing the ball away. They were hitting outrageous passes that were going nowhere. I'm not sure whether everyone just thought they could be the hero or whether what I sense happened was the occasion got to them. That's what it seemed to me. And as soon as Independiente were able to get them get themselves back into the game, Racing's answer was would have been incredibly disappointing for I think for their supporters. The other thing, of course, is that Independiente really hit them sort of like a bucket of cold water thrown over them to <laughs> current affairs here, ice bucket challenge. Um, <laughs> that was it was like an unexpected ice bucket challenge prank or something because Sebastian Benko and Federico Manquesho scored uh, in the space of about a minute and a half. Mm. Um, uh, about sort of 15 minutes or so no well 10 or 11 minutes after um, Milito giving them the lead uh, and of course by that point I think by the time they scored no oh no just after they scored in fact um, Milito had to go off injured and he's now up for three weeks which is something that really seemed to affect Racing more than they should probably have let it affect them yeah so, I mean, yeah, he's a talisman he's the figurehead of the team of the new look club as well and uh, the way that he's Come back. He's a fan favourite, and he's clearly the mm. best striker they've got as well. Obviously, it's Diego Benito for God's sake. But um, the fact that when he went, you could almost see them all just go. Ugh. Yeah, and, and uh, obviously, I'm not advocating the way that they played in the second half. But the only player who may have been able to make something was Benito. Was Benito. Yeah. So once he went off, it was just it was just hopeless long balls being pumped forward, which Independiente well sort of welcomed. More of because all the like uh, Sebo was just saying, 
Rassi needed a bit of composure to get on the ball. In the end, they needed to do the same because they're not playing this phenomenal attacking unit. And every time independent they won the ball back instead of looking for a pass and saying well actually hang on there's 45 minutes of this game left they thought let's just smash it <laughs> into the other half <laughs> and as well <laughs> exactly the playing as if it was injury time with a whole half to go I mean it, it, yeah for that reason it was not by any stretch of the imagination a classic classic it, it was a classic on debut for Nestor Breitenbruch uh, has, he, has he played for Independiente before? I've only just noticed the name, so I just wanted to mention he, it. Yeah, yeah, he, quite a surname, he played on the opening day. Oh, um, so. I think he's only 18 or 19. Mm. And, um, then and after once, obviously we had the first round, and then the window closed, and we, we brought in um, Victor Cuesta. Uh-huh. And then yes. he, he lost his place after that. Indeed. So there we go, Independiente have the upper hand in Avellaneda for the next six months at least. And on Monday... As we mentioned already, there were three fairly underwhelming games. The only notable thing that happened in Lanús versus Olimpo was uh, that uh, Miguel Borja scored both of the goals in a 1-1 draw. Um, he opened the scoring for Lanús uh, 12 minutes in, which he wasn't very happy with because he is Olimpo's centre-forward, um, and then he equalised his own goal uh, <laughs> more deliberately in the 20, roughly halfway through the second half. Um, and that was about it. Lanús looked pants. There are 11 games unbeaten at home now in the league. Eight, eight wins and three draws. And they looked just completely lifeless. They looked knackered from the week out, from the midweek. But they've been playing midweek football this year. They've got the squad to deal with it. What was going on? What changed in Lanús? Lanús was one of the most attractive teams to watch in Argentine football. And I, think, I think the main thing that has changed over the winter is that they have lost the left side of their defence. The, um, uh, the, the Carlos Izquierdos yes. and Paolo Goltz yes. have both gone to Mexico. Um, America and Leon, no? No, Santos, Luna. Thank you. Getting our uh, part-time Mexican journalist. Sorry, part-time isn't quite what I meant, but you know, Mexico is what I meant. Um, and they've had to readjust, and, and I think it was Montserrin um, after the match, I might be getting that wrong, who, oh no, it might have been Carlos Araujo, who said after the game um, that they, they still sort of have to work out that defensive solidity side to the game again because they've lost it completely. They had a fairly good defence before, um, which was what allowed them, I think, to, to play quite as flowingly as they did going forward because they had confidence in the men behind them, and that's gone. Uh, they had the, the, the more talented half of their defence just gutted, and they've got. It's going to take a while to rebuild it. I think. I, I think that it, it was something different from Lanús ball was that they they didn't make mistakes or or a lot of mistakes, and this is one of them because you can't sell or or or, or uh, quit uh, the two uh, the, the mm. centre backs at the same time like Colts and, and Izquierdos who worked perfectly and, and, and helped the team to be a solid, solid one. Yeah. And I think it was a big, big mistake. It, it was a very uh, strange decision when it happened. Obviously, the money they got for them was, was not turn-downable, let's say. Um, but there is, there's a chance. Because I, I've been invited uh, by a friend of Hand of Pot um, to Lanus Banfield next weekend. So if I'm at that... Uh, then I hope that Lanús are going to be looking uh, better. Well, uh, there won't be uh, way, way supporters. In, in, if, if there are, I, I recommend you to, 
to live it, take a helmet or something. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've been to Lanus uh, matches before, and uh, I, I almost feel I have to without the away supporters, to be honest. But anyway, um, it's going to take a while, I think, to get that, that defensive solidity back. And I think when that comes back, the the attacking side of things will come again. Um, but yeah, they're certainly having problems at both ends of the pitch at the moment. Uh, they also, again, had Guillermo Barros Esquiloto sent off. He's the manager, of course, not one of the players. <laughs> He's got to be. In, in a league where red cards shown to managers are fairly frequent, because of largely because of the rule about having to get your team out on time for the second half due to the TV uh, not being able to overrun, um, managers are sent off without warning if, if they get the team out more than about a minute late. Um, and so that, that results in a lot, and that, I think that's what it was for this time because yeah. he was sent off in the first minute in the second half but he's got to be the manager who gets more red cards than any but other manager there's yeah. something hilarious about that that rule which is I, I heard uh, Jose Turu Flores uh, man, Vélez, uh, coach saying that if they are uh, sent off because they, 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 they went late to the pitch yeah. they are bound to for one match they, they can't uh, be on the pitch the last the following match but if they insult the referee, they are sent off, but they, they, they follow the match, they They're are... not given a ban, yeah. Yes. It's, uh, it's all very, very silly, indeed. Uh, actually, added on to that, it was a very dull game, as I say. So the, the only notable thing, I said the only notable thing, was Borja scoring at both ends. But another notable thing after that, because in stoppage time, suddenly the game turned mental and actually got interesting for about two minutes. And what happened was that Olimpo's centre-back, Nestor Moraigi, first of all, found himself free from a corner and put a header straight at Agustin Marquesin, which would have won it. And then about 30 seconds later, at the end of the Lanús counter-attack, he almost scored no goal. So just as Borja scored at both ends, Moiraji was dangerously close to, to scoring at, well, presumably one end or the other, because if the first one had gone in, then yes. he presumably wouldn't have had the chance to score the own goal. But it was, it was symmetrical, I thought. Pleasingly symmetrical. Um, after that, we had a desperately dull... 1-0 victory for Arsenal de Sarandí against Banfield um, and I mean words have yet to be invented to describe how bad Tigre versus Quilmes was there was one shot on target in the whole match and it came in the 92nd minute and it was cleared off the line which I was pleased with because yeah. Mystic Sam said that game was going to be a draw and after sitting through that fucking match if, the, if one of the teams had actually won it I would have hit the roof I must say your Twitter feed uh, really did communicate your disdain <laughs> for what was happening on the pitch it was, awful. <laughs> it was absolutely awful um, that match made uh, Fabian Alegre resign precisely yes. so, so something some good has come of it as it were Fabian Alegre as we said earlier in the season was if you can hear that cat in the back of the <laughs> we record at my place and we get dogs fighting each other we record here and we get the loudest cat in the world because um, I've not heard that before no no, it's not in the kitchen is it um, sadly he does pop up every now and we do like Fabian Allegri he seems like a very nice man he dresses like a, a rock star rather than the football manager or at least a, somebody going to a rock concert if not a rock star himself um, rather than a 50 year old football manager as well not just a, a young one um, and he's got a team I think with a fair bit of attacking talent but for whatever reason he's been able to construct an, an ironclad defence and just not get anything out of them attacking at all in just under a year he, he took charge in mid to late September last year I think it was or very early October last year 
um, seventh round of the Torneo Inicial last year anyway um, and Tigre have been admirably sturdy at the back there's something to be said for that but god they've been back going forward even when they beat Racing 4-0 a couple of weeks ago that was from five shots on goal in the whole match and four of them I, I, I remember last tournament to uh, I don't know I think Nahuel Pan is not anymore there in the squad no he's gone to he's Mexico, Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. having having uh, uh, five he, he, he struggled a lot with the defenders and that's and, but he didn't shot didn't have shots on target no and and, and it was uh, the match that you were sure that would be uh, likely a new leader or, or but he's, he's got Carlos Luna has come back to the club in centre forward and Carlos Luna did well there uh, previously of course before he went to, to River Plate and then to Rosario Central um, and he's got on either side of him Kevin Itabel and Lucas Vilches who Proof that this is being no, this is being this recorded in Buenos Aires, and not in a flat in downtown London, by the way. No. <laughs> it's that cat. <laughs> Peter, feed that cat, please. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If it's not mine. I'm not doing anything cruel to a cat. Kevin Itabel and Lucas Wilches, I think, are, they're two of my two of my favourite attacking players in the league, and have been since they both broke through. They're young, they're talented, they've both got quick feet. Uh, they're not quite. Um, I've forgotten his name. The kid they sold last season, Matias Perez Garcia. No, no, no the Bot- kid. Botta. Botta, thank you, Ruben Botta. They don't oh, quite Ruben Botta. Uh, yeah. Obviously, Matias Perez Garcia, the, the man with the three tildes in his surname, is uh, in his name, um, is a hand of pod cult hero. Um, but Itabel and Wilches are both considerably younger, and I really like him. I think it's a shame that it's a team with that forward line of three players, Itabel, Wilches on the flanks, and, and Luna in the middle. Um, can't score a little bit more regularly than and I'm not going to look up how many goals Tigre have scored so far in five matches this season they, they have uh, they have that Three four goals. Yes, no, they've, got, they've scored five of course yeah but four yes. of them were in one match from five shots on, on, on goal um, and so Allegra is gone it looks I think like oh why did I start that sentence and I didn't know what, how it ended I can't remember who's uh, the favourite to replace him can anybody Shall we click Tigre and see what, what it says? Someone who will be, um, I think, sad to see him go will be uh, Javier Garcia, who must have the best um, record the sh- of goal. The sharpest improvement from yeah, the no, goalkeeper to... I'd like to see um, his statistics un- under Allegri. Yeah. Because there must be a phenomenal amount of clean sheets. Yes. And for someone who's actually a pretty shit goalkeeper is... But then we, we had, uh, I remember Joel uh, was the first person to bring up how crap Allegri is as a goalkeeper on hand with and uh, even he was moved last season to mention that there were a couple of matches where Tigre actually the opponents had a fair number of shots um, and Allegra still managed to keep things out so it's, it's remarkable what a bit of confidence can do for you as well Jorge Borruchaga there we go the former Arsenal manager and indeed player and scorer of Argentina's third goal in the 1986 World Cup final which brings us as he claps his hands slightly too loudly for the microphone I apologise for that um, very neatly to an instrumental break after which once we've refilled our glasses we shall come back and talk for a little bit about the Argentine national team so don't go away
say. It is uh, the team that Jorge Borrochaga, the new, possibly new, rumoured new Tigre manager, um, used to play for, not one of the club sides, but the national side. Um, we talked earlier on about Seba, uh, Seb, Sebastian. I like it. It's got an Argentinian flavour, Seba. Yeah. <laughs> That's precisely why I said it. I'm far more used to saying it than I am uh, Sebastian. Um, we talked about how, how you saw Argentina um, versus Germany in the mm. Maracanã a month and a half ago-ish. Not that long, jeez. Um, and, of course, they, they met again uh, in Dusseldorf. I really like the, the of that. I, I, I just like trying to pronounce things in the German. We do have listeners in Germany, so I, I, I apologise if I horribly mangled it. Um, but they met again um, in, in a, what was originally scheduled as just a post-match World Cup friendly. It was, it was put together in March. Turns out to be a replay of the World Cup final. And um, for the second World Cup year in succession, because they did it four years ago as well, Argentina stuck four goals past the new world champions. This time round, it was a bit less of a party atmosphere because we were just sort of all left thinking, oh, what if? Mm. But um, it was an impressive performance, no? Bearing in mind that I'm sure, okay, Germany clearly didn't care that much, but I suspect they didn't want to get their asses handed to them in their own World Cup celebration match. We don't know if Germany players were relaxed, but they had a quite oh, different, different team. Well, yeah, there's only four, four starters anyway from, yeah. the, from the World Cup final team. So. They had different team, and Argentina had pretty same team with adding some, well, Di Maria, who wasn't in the final, and uh, for example, Eric Lamela and some others, which, but the, the structure was the same, the, the team was more or less the same. Germany was quite different because Philippe Lam and Klose, for example, even though Klose wasn't uh, in the starting level, I think in the final, uh, they they retired from the from the World Cup, from the national team. As did so somebody else, but I can't remember who. There were there were three of the Germans who started the final of retired from international football now, and I can't remember the other. Um, Did he not? Did he? No, not him. Someone else. Well, if we, we could sit here and try and guess it, we turn into a very long podcast, so we won't do. Um, but it was it was a fairly uh, promising performance. Of course, it's Gerardo Martino's first match in charge. Um, as as Andres says, there were a couple of changes from the Argentine squad, and they were enforced um, because I think possibly last week uh, myself and English done mentioned on Handpop 154 um, that the squad was really kind of imposed on Martino. The AFA had already decided that it was going to be the same 23 players called up. Didn't end up being exactly the same squad because, first of all, Martino um, agreed with Boca Juniors that it was a bit stupid to call up Agostino Rion um, for a match, for one match in friendly in which he definitely wasn't going to play unless both of the goalkeepers had him got injured as it happened Romero did get injured and had to be substitute. so there were only one injury away from, <laughs> away from Argentina having to put um, uh, Javier Mascherano in goal probably would have been Mascherano wouldn't it the way he played during the World Cup um, in goal but um, Orion stayed behind in uh, just under an hour's time in fact he's playing so Boca I think were sort of satisfied with that they wanted Gago pulled out of the list as well but he, he remained in um, and Boca will know that we're better off for it because he's rubbish um, but anyway there were a couple of other changes that were enforced Maxi Rodriguez was injured if you can hear that very low level humming in the background listeners I apologise I don't think the other guys can hear it but it's coming through on my earphones which means the microphone's picking up um, I hope it won't come through on the recording um, Maxi Rodriguez was injured 
Ezekiel Garay was injured, the defender, and uh, there were two forwards injured, uh, one of whom was Rodrigo Palacio, and the other of whom was a little chap who you might have heard of called Lionel Messi, uh, who very conveniently is going to be back in action for Barcelona this weekend, probably. Oh, really? Shock. This, this has caused some, some talk here in Argentina, which we'll talk about uh, in a minute or two. Actually, he's not definitely back in action, but it looks like he's, he's likely to play. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, because it meant that the squad got rejigged, and it meant that we got our first glimpse at what Martino might possibly be thinking, if, for those of us who are really desperate to draw conclusions, for those of us, for instance, uh, whose editors asked them, write as much as you can about, about what Martino's thinking for the future of the national side, based on a selection of players who he's not had a say in. Um, which were that he managed to make two, two call-ups himself, and the two call-ups in question were those of Eric Lamela and of another person whose name I've forgotten. Nicolas Gaetan. Thank you very much, Nicolas Gaetan. Uh, both of whom, of course, uh, are, are worthy call-ups, I think I would say. Gaetan had an outstanding season last year for Benfica. But uh, was oh, debut, Gaetan debuted on national team, I think. And, uh, was it? No, no, they, no, played, they, no. Both, they both played. Oh, for, they both oh, played okay. well, Gaetan was on the shortlist of 30 for the World Cup last year. He didn't quite make the cut. Um, there were rumours, that there was talk on deadline though, of course, uh, for reasons that Handapod's lawyers have suggested we don't go into, that Ezekiel Lavezzi <laughs> might want to make the squad. And if Lavezzi had been dropped, then there was thought that Gaetan was the guy who was going to go uh, in his place. Um, but it didn't end up happening, of course. Um, and Lamela, Lamela, who had a very unfortunate season last season with Spurs, and I say unfortunate rather than poor because you know it wasn't of his own making at all, really. Um, and, but who has started this season like a man possessed. Um, he was superb. He scored his first goal for club or country since November last year. Um, and what a goal it was. Fantastic, volleyed, half-volleyed finish um, from, and this is the big one, Angel Di Maria assist, because Angel Di Maria was setting up goals as if goals were going out of fashion. Um, and then scored one himself uh, for Argentina's fourth. He was rather good, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, to I mean. the extent that you didn't really notice that Lionel Messi wasn't playing. <laughs> Yes, he, he he was he played like a, like like replacing Messi because he was like like him. He had to do with the, all of the goals in in, in the Argentina goals, the four goals. He scored one and assisted in the other three. So and three, well, two really good assists in the first half. In fact, the first one obviously for Aguero on the outside of the foot cross was just outstanding. The second one, okay, technically, in terms of just the final delivery, not as difficult to do. But the pace that he showed to get onto that, that through ball from Sabaleta down the channel I thought was, was superb as well and, and getting to the ball and stopping it just in time. Um, and then the free kick obviously delivered for... Uh, Fernandez. Thank you, Federico Fernandez to, to not have. So really, all of the goals were made in England. And yet Argentines complain so much about what have the English ever done for us. You've just come here, you steal our islands... You take our wool and then knit it yourselves and sell it back to us as jumpers at increasingly inflated prices. Well, now we're giving you a, a national team because all of the players who assisted and scored the goals yesterday, Andreas, and I'm pointing at you because you're the Argentine in the room. Yes, the, so the problem... The Premier League. It's the greatest league in the world. <laughs> yes, it is. The problem, the problem seems to be with the national England team, not yes. with the league. <laughs> the problem isn't the best players in, in, in the Premier League are Argentine. Um, but it was also the first kind of real glimpse it was the first something close to a full match that Angel Di Maria has had since uh, that uh, 
rather public transfer, um, which we're going to mention because we didn't mention it last week and because it will help Hand Pot's listener figures no end if I'm able to put Manchester United in the, uh, in the episode heading. Um, obviously, we have a Manchester United fan in the room. Um, it's me. Um, but I'm going to ask for the neutrals, first of all. How do you think Di Maria is going to... Um, no, let's put it another way. Peter, you're English, you watch the Premier League. Do you consider Angel Di Maria to be a slight upgrade on Tom Cleverley? <laughs> well, it's touch and go, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there's absolutely no question of the quality that Manchester United have bought in. Obviously, they've paid a British transfer record to do it, but they've just bought one of the best football players in the world outside the outside the, the top two that most people recognise being Messi and Ronaldo. Uh, according to Lucas Biglia, he's the best football player in the world outside of those two. Okay, great. Well, said after the match, there are Lionel Messi's from another planet and then behind him you've got Ronaldo and, uh, and Di Maria. And he then gave a slightly logic-defying uh, second statement, which was that Di Maria's not among the best 15 players in the world because he's among the top three. Not sure anybody's taught him that the top three by nature are uh, among the top 15 but uh, anyway um, but yeah I, I, as a United fan I'm, I'm happy with the, the <laughs> well and I just think the, the, the fact is that, that I mean it, it just goes beyond for me comprehension that Madrid would sell Di Maria but United as a result get someone who due to his athleticism can almost play Anywhere in Van <laughs> As he showed as well, because this is the other thing that um, I think fewer people have, have really looked at is that D- people call Di Maria a winger or a forward. And uh, last night was the first time, certainly in a very long time, and I have a feeling ever that he's played in the front line of three of a system involving a front three. Previous to that, he's tended to play sometimes on the wing in a 4 4 2 or maybe a 4 2 3 1. Um, but more often than not, he's actually played as a, a kind of a wide midfielder, or a, mm. uh, at times, as he did during the World Cup or uh, for Madrid last season, at times a central midfielder who's encouraged to burst out wide. Um, and last night shows just how versatile he is with, with that physicality. Yeah, as well. and I think what's frightening about that is that most people, most players who are that versatile, are, are considered a jack of all trades like a master of none yeah, yeah. and that you'd say oh you know he can do a job in central midfield he can do a job in the front in a forward three he can do a job on the wing Angel Di Maria is one of the best players in any of those positions mm. and that's why I'm a bit pissed off that man <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what Louis Foucault is going to think of uh, his statement today however that's come out in the press with uh, he said first of all I, I was happy that they put me closer to the goal because you know, that, that aid of my performance and that, that was fine but then he said uh, they've given me an English teacher but I'm trying to stay out of his way <laughs> given that Van has been quite insistent that the squad uh, communicate with each other in English hopefully Tr- try and learn English Hill, and then you can listen to the pod and, and retweet us or something at some point but um, I, I heard that, that uh, Bengal uh, uh, put him in more in the middle than in the uh, right or left side uh, to play against Burnley, it, they, they, they well, against, against Burnley, it was Burnley, they got a, a, a the, just a draw and the, the most shiny oh. and bright spots in, in a very uh, weak all-round performance. I, I actually got an early night on Friday, and anybody who knows me 
will be shocked to hear that I woke up at 20 to 9 in the morning to watch that match. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There there have been times in the not-too-distant past, I mean, in the last couple of weeks where I've been going to sleep at not very far off that time. Um, Your flatmate, if he was there, must have thought that there was something seriously wrong. Well, my flatmate's in the United States for the moment. Um, (laughs) But yes, he he would have done if he was there. Um, But no, he he was was good against Burnley. He was... um, it's blowing a bit by the end of it, let's say, but obviously that's because he, he's not really played a full match since uh, his injury at the World Cup. Um, but no, I think United have got a very good player. The national team, we are an Argentine football podcast, and apart from the listener figure pleasing mention of Manchester United, hopefully that's why we did it, um, we do need to talk about Argentina as well. What did we think of Martino's debut? Andres, you're Argentine? Tell well, me. uh I, I I could watch the match during not, not I, I, I couldn't watch whole the whole match, but uh, what I could see was a, a, a difference in terms of, of of how he he made the team to be a, a, a hypothetically or theoretically at the beginning of the match like having a, a per, pressing more mm-hmm. uh, in the in the rival side and and trying to to. Well, get get the ball and and, and, and have more offensive attitude. Uh, well, that was proved with, of course, you have to then score the goals and was proved with four four of them. And that's the main difference I I, I could uh, uh, see. Oh, of course, only one one match and it's not enough to to make an, a serious analysis. But uh, at least for that 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 very. Uh, at least for the for this match, uh, precisely it was. I think the main difference was that that yeah, uh, it's something that the players and he was about friendly. Well. Like Biglia um, and a couple of the other players I can't remember who said that Martino had asked them to just push ten to twenty meters further up the pitch than they were doing before and try and win the ball back higher up. Yes. If they keep doing that, it's it's a relatively unusual tactic at international level where teams tend to you, you see more counter-attacking so it's going to be interesting to see whether he keeps that up obviously this is the other thing Martino uh, attended the match for peace in Rome um, uh, with, with the Pope and then flew into Dusseldorf just on, on uh, Monday night so they only really have one full day with the players so if he managed to you know, impress that on them so early on it's going to be interesting to see what he does when he gets more time with them but obviously in South American football, the period between now and next May to June is, is mm. kind of dead time, really, because there's no, there are no qualifiers. There's nothing really to do until the Copa America kicks off. The South American World Cup qualifiers won't start until September or October next year. Um, so it, it, it's, it's interesting. But it's, it's going to be interesting to see what, what Martino does uh, with regard to the changes um, and with regard to how Argentina are going to play. One thing I do think we can expect is a slightly more possession-based approach than they had on yes. Of, of, of yeah. course, we don't know. We don't know what would have would have been happen if, for example, Lamela would have been in a good physical form and, and football footballistic or in, in terms of play uh, before the World Cup because it wasn't wasn't the case. He wasn't in a good form and, and now he is. And, he proved that in the in the front of the other the other day, uh, yesterday. And, and, and the other the other what if though, I mean the really big what if that came out last night is if Di Maria hadn't been injured in the quarter final. Yes. Well, uh, we it's torture <laughs> to think about, isn't if it? If my auntie <laughs> had bollocks, then <laughs> she'd be my uncle. 
um, as the old saying goes. But uh, Seb, you mm. watched last yeah, yesterday afternoon. We say yesterday afternoon, last night in Germany, but yesterday mm-hmm. afternoon here in Argentina's um, match. And of course, you were at the previous uh, edition of Germany versus Argentina. Yeah. Did you see any kind of glaring differences beyond the ones that we've we've mentioned already? Beyond Di Maria's presence and Argentina uh, perhaps having slightly more to gain from it than Germany this uh, time? A little bit. I mean, I, I in a way, I, I mean, it's just such a great result for Argentina. A great performance in the transition in, in, in managers and styles because I think that is important now that if they are able to be a... They've got to keep the core of the squad that was just together at the last World Cup that obviously did so well, but played in one style. And and, and look, that took them within five minutes of winning the World Cup, so they, they can't have been doing it that badly. But uh, if they go to the Copa America with a, with a more aggressive approach, you might say, more about holding on to the ball, more about knowing what they're going to do with it... Um, and, and they have the ability to change styles, that makes them an even greater threat. That makes them even, an even more well-rounded team, and that does make them the favourites to, to go on with it. And, let, and let's not forget, there are, you do say it is dead time, and to an extent, I, I guess that is true, but because the campaigns come so close together, I mean, it's, it's little more than nine months away now, that, that and so the preparation starts now for that. Um, if Martino can come in and, and add... 15% to that team, they're going to be very, very hard to beat. So what we did see, I think, against Germany was obviously uh, you know, they were able to execute the, the, the attacking part of the game very, very well, but I just feel like the, the confidence of the team will have been given another new boost. The, the deflation from what happened from, from missing out and getting so close would have been big. So he's looked around at that squad and gone, guys, I need you to... to, to we need to go again. Uh, to, to, to quote Stephen Gerrard, you might say... Um, and, and he's managed to do that. And I think that's that's a, that's a great start. And provided he can he can keep them unified, they are the team to beat in Chile. I really believe that. I think so. I, with any no one in well, no reasonable person in Argentina is going to underestimate and, and uh, not be thankful for what Alejandro Sabella brought to the national team, even if the uh, the World Cup was perhaps not as stylish as as they have been in the qualifiers. Um, but obviously with any new managerial appointment you'd look to kind of develop the team mm. gradual development and, and continue along the same road but the new guy brings his own ideas in and Martino I think has, has got what it takes to we, we can see that, in the right direction we can see that Sabella found a way out to get Argentina to the final of the World Cup which they hadn't done for a very long time yes and that that, that needs to be acknowledged independently of the style mm. he he uh, uh, we can say that the, the, the way that Argentina, Argentina ended the World Cup was the one that Sabella liked most, which was uh, waiting more in their side and then trying to, to attack via counter-attacks, not pressing like Martino uh, proved yesterday. And uh, But, well, in terms of results, was very, very good and, well, we can recognize that. And, and now we, we it's a new era and we must wait for, for, for the matches to, to be played and, and we have two Copas America because there is a the Copa America twenty fifteen will be playing at Chile and the twenty sixteen United States Copa America. So apart from the uh, mm. qualifiers and the, uh, I'm angry about that one. <laughs> yes. Uh, ne- next year I ought to be able to get to it but I'm really quite pissed off that they're having the twenty sixteen Copa yes. America in a country that I almost certainly 
won't be able to go to just because of the expense. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. But um, yes, indeed. And, and it's, uh, I'm glad that you, you mentioned that because, of course, it also, two Copa America, as well as the World Cup qualifiers. So Argentina are going to have, as of course uh, every other South American nation, are going to have a lot of competitive football to play between now and the next World Cup. Um, how are they going to decide who goes to the 27 Confederations Cup? If two different teams win next year's Copa America and the one after that, then who gets to go? In classic, in classic South American historical style, there has to be a playoff, doesn't there? There has to be a one-off match <laughs> in a neutral you country. It's, it, it's the current, the current uh, continental champions, so the mm. 2016 champions. But what happens if Jamaica win the Copa America 2016? Because the, there are going to be a few North American teams invited and one of them is going to be the Caribbean. You know, it's not out of the realms of possibility that they could do a yeah. Costa Rica shock the world. And uh, well, was it Costa Rica won it? The Costa Rica. Surely, the South surely it's the highest ranked. Surely it's the highest ranked South so, American team yeah. would, would go through. Uh, you would think that if the North American side won it, they wouldn't be eligible for the Copa the, the, the Copa Confederaciones. I'm talking in Spanish now. Uh, the <laughs> Confederations <laughs> Cup. Um, but another player, uh, another key point, of course, is that last night's yesterday afternoon's match in Dusseldorf. Um, did not feature I'm going to continue mangling that you and I apologise again to our German listeners um, did not feature uh, one very very uh, big little player or, or is he a little big player one of the two didn't feature Lionel Messi who picked up an injury um, during Barcelona's 1-0 win over oh come on I can do this I can remember it no I can't anyway 1-0 win over something no, they, they played Real Madrid they beat the 4-2 no. I can remember that because I watched it no, it was it hilarious over yeah. um, someone around was it? someone decent let's see Liga Española we're going into the old day statistics that's my, that's my guess we pronounce it Villarreal by the way Peter we get complaints if we don't pronounce non-Argentine names uh, non-Argentine <laughs> it was it was against Villarreal well done um, 1-0 away uh, Messi uh, finished that match but had a, a muscle injury of some sort of thigh injury um, and was kept out the Argentine national team doctor Daniel Martinez if I've remembered his name rightly um, says that he was there with the Barcelona medical team and he's happy that that's what happened but it did not stop uh, sorry he's been there in the last few days I should say he wasn't there when it happened it wasn't a big conspiracy or anything but it did not stop um, a lot of Argentine media no, let's not say a lot. It didn't stop a significant portion of what you might call the yellow press um, from claiming conspiracy anyway, uh, from saying that Messi was going to take a break from the national team until the end of the year at least for the meaningless friendlies that he'd been advised by Barcelona's doctors to step down. Um, one journalist who was clearly just trying to make a name for himself and who we're not going to give the benefit of, of naming but any, any claims claim that Lionel Messi was going to retire from international football sorry for just talking <laughs> over you Andres but it's something no, fucking ridiculous I, I, I wonder what would be for Messi to take a break from the national team until the end of the year not playing against Brazil in another front they play Brazil in Hong Kong next month yes. or, the, or the month after maybe I can't but that would be the only match Play. And then presumably they'll have another couple of friendlies yes. in the FIFA dates. But as we say, there are no competitive matches until next year. And then Brazil is crap so right now. We don't play against we don't Messi, and, and it's like it's okay. It's <laughs> it's worth. It's that's that's being saved and published to Twitter. And if you get beaten five 0 when you play the next one, it's being retweeted by everybody on Andrew Pod Andres. <laughs> um, 
But no, I mean, in, in a way, it obviously wouldn't harm Argentina uh, to have to play without Messi until the Copa America next year because they don't have any competitive matches. Um, but, you know, I just wanted to, to bring this up so that we can, we can say, in case any of our listeners have heard this rumour, it's complete bollocks, right? Messi's not going to retire from international. He role. sent a message, of course. Mm. We can say that the, that message was sent by their team of, of, of community managers, not him in person, saying, sending a message that he was it was a pity for not being able to to be with the national team, but he was he congr- uh, sent congratulations to the, to the team yeah. that was there. And yeah, I don't know whether it's because being being English. I'm just completely used to it, but for me, the so the, the players who play for the like Premier clubs, pulling out of friendlies injured and then playing at the weekend is something which I'm just so completely used to. For me, mm. it's like mm. I'm not that surprised that Messi just if, even roll if, your eyes. Well, yeah, Messi's case it appears to be legit. This is the other thing though, because Messi has in the past had major bust ups with Barcelona when they have tried to pull him out of friendlies or even pull him out of the Olympics a couple of years ago, and he was on the verge of, of saying that he'd strike if they didn't let him go to, to Beijing. Yeah, I mean, I just think if you're Barcelona and, you, and if you're Lionel Messi and you even have a slight niggle, for a friendly, you're going to say, sorry, I can carry mm. a knock. Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be out for the weekend, but you can't start reading into it that he's retiring for international no, duty. He, he's shown, <laughs> I, I think... I think actually pretty admirable commitment to the national cause considering uh, I suppose earlier in his career there was some questions about his commitment was he more committed to, to Barcelona El Catalan and all that sort of theory but I think it, you know with the amount of caps he's racked up idiots, yeah well the amount of caps he's racked up I think shows his commitment it's been fairly unwavering and and I think really now what he, he must be what close to or if not exceeded the 100 cap mark you'll have to uh, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong but he's he's, he's yeah, I think he, he'll want to go again I think he'll want to be part of all the major tournaments if he skips the odd friendly here and there it's no big deal Leonardo Messi caps sweepstake everybody about 90 I would, I would yes. estimate at a guess Peter 80 Andres uh, 90 I, I have a feeling that during the World Cup final I think it was 91 or 92 during the World Cup final let's have a look he has made for Argentina series 93. Right. It was a good guess, wasn't it? Close enough, I think we've done all right there, collectively. <laughs> I'm going to play victory in the same night. Ladies and gentlemen, the next bit of music that you hear will be a small piece of incidental music. And when we come back, we shall uh, just answer a few. Uh, actually, well, no, we'll answer all, but there are only a few of them of your listeners' questions, so do not go away. Sudamericana matches, uh, one of which I actually did write down on the running order and then completely skipped over because it was another Clásico. We talked about the Clásico at the weekend, Independiente de Racing and San Lorenzo uh, against River Plate. Um, we didn't mention the fact that yesterday at two o'clock in the afternoon, 
on a working day, on a Wednesday, for fuck's sake, Gimnasia hosted Estudiantes in a Copa Sudamericana playoff. Uh, the reason that we didn't really mention it and that it didn't stick in anyone's heads was, first of all, because it was at two o'clock in the afternoon and nobody mm. watched it. And secondly, it was rubbish. Nil-nil. So, it's like, what are you doing? I, I am having lunch and watching the match. Yeah. Utterly bizarre. And I, when was it moved to two o'clock in the afternoon? I found out that it was on at two o'clock in the afternoon at five to two in the afternoon. That was when I realised that it was, I thought it was going to be in the evening. It's the opposite Americana. Why aren't they playing it at two in the afternoon? Well, it's yes. presumably security, obviously. You know, yes. I, I, I can guess at what the actual answer was, but ridiculous anyway. Uh, but that happened. And then also on Wednesday night, uh, River Plate... We, we talked about security re reasons, and the day before the match, there was a, a lot of supporters, of gymnastic supporters with flags, mm. and there were incidents. There were, like, not, I don't know if riot, but... Some problems with the supporters. They were. That's all the day before the match, so the yeah. kickoff time of the game itself has got nothing to do with it. Um, and also on uh, Wednesday night, uh, River Plate played Godoy Cruz in Mendoza. Of course, the last time that happened was only about two or three weeks ago, and River went out 4 0 winners. On Wednesday, things were slightly harder, um, almost inevitably, really, given that. Godoy Cruz didn't want to get beaten 4-0 again um, and River got a 1-0 victory with a goal from late substitute Herman Petzela the centre defender um, who headed in a Pisculici free kick this time yeah that's why I thought the one earlier was a Pisculici free kick in, against um, San Lorenzo um, who headed one of those in in the 91st minute and gave River Plate a 1-0 victory and meant that I won £1.22 on a couple of bets that I placed on that match that I thought I'd lost So I was very happy with that. In pesos? No, no, in pounds. <laughs> pounds. Um, with, the, with the blue ray, that's quite uh, <laughs> right, a significant... Uh, oh, I, it's a bet for SSI. It's a big man. Very, very small um, stakes is the key. And as, as a wise man once said, don't bet more than you can afford to lose, and I can't afford to lose very much. Um, tonight, as we mentioned earlier, in, in fact about 20 minutes' time, Rosario Central versus Boca Juniors kicks off. We will not, of course, be able to bring in the scoreline of that match. Uh, but thank you very much for reminding me about the Copacet Americana. Andres, it's an easy tournament to forget about. Um, but yes. no doubt we shall get more excited about it if River reach the final stages. Um, and ignore it if they don't. And maybe if we're just talking about midweek football, we should make a, an honourable mention to... Um Diego himself rolling back the years oh. in the least match. Wow. Was, oh, yeah. It was on <laughs> Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think more, more to the point, the fact that he's possibly the only person in the world who could turn a match billed as the match for peace into an excuse to have a blazing argument with another footballer. Because after the match, he came out with some rather argumentative things about Mallory Cowdy, which, let's face it, is nothing that we weren't all thinking anyway, but still... No, and also I think... Uh, I, I didn't watch the match, by the way, so uh, please... No, I mean, I, to be honest, I couldn't physically watch all of it because I started watching it and it was so boring. It was hard to watch. It was, it I, got, I got about the first 20 in, I saw Maradona set up Baggio with that yeah. cracker, um, but after that, but, so but it was hard coming. Once, <laughs> once the novelty of watching uh, Diego trundle around the pitch... Yelling, screaming, uh, yeah, walking. The only person like rolling the rare from and everything else. After I met when I um, was at university, uh, soccer aid happened. Do you remember that? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. The, the, I think they're still going now actually. But it was the first soccer aid match was held at Old Trafford, 
uh, in, it would have been 2003, I think, because it was just before I started working at Old Trafford, and they were selling tickets to students for a tenner. And I decided not to go because it's just a friendly and, you know, charity, celebrities playing, it's going to be a crap match of football. I donated the tenner to, to the charity anyway, but didn't want to go to the match. I want to take a couple of hours out of my Saturday that I wasn't going to get back. And the tickets sold out, and the day after the tickets sold out, they announced that Maradona was going to play. And I felt rather annoyed. And although I watched it on TV in the end, and you know, he, he was just basically didn't move outside the centre circle the whole game, or the spray passes around all over the place, he, was, he still ran the match from the centre circle. And although it's a 45-year-old Maradona, and this is about two years after the gastric band operation, when he'd been told he'd never be able to kick a football again or his heart would explode... Um, you know, and all of those kind of caveats, I still felt just slightly irritated. And I was like, if they'd announced that a couple of days previously, yeah, I, I would have been able to at least say that I'd seen Diego Maradona in the flesh. I don't know if soccer aid counts. Seeing him play, I'm sure he's got a comeback lined up Argentina's juniors alongside Raquel May yeah, in the well, works. Even so, you, you, you thought that the match was worth mentioning on Hand the Pop, Peter, so. Uh, um, yeah. No, but the, the piece version, then the argument with Icardi afterwards and everything, and Maradona's uh, meetings with the Pope, in which he came out with the uh, not at all predictable phrase that the hand of God had shaken the hand of the Pope. Which, as I said I, at the time, I, I think that one needs some work, to be honest. And, um, I'm sure. Um, Pope Francis will be pleased to know that Diego said after it with glowing praise and then said he's got the soldier um, yes. alongside him in, in Diego. So, I mean, that's. Um, and then also admitted he's more of a man than me, which, I mean, well, okay. But anyway, let's get on to the question. Um, <laughs> Soy Bogense, who has changed his Twitter name, I don't know whether that's in, in a. Um, an attempt to try and get me to read it out on Hand of Pod for some publicity, but I'm not going to do it. Um, uh, so I'm just going to say his, his Twitter handle is Soybokense. Um, his username is something else now. Uh, asks, was Bianchi responsible for all of this talent, such as Noir, 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 uh, Paredes, Paul Fernandes, Nico Blandi, Araujo, and so on, um, being sold for cheap or going out on loan again? That's one of two. The second part was these transfers in transfers in have been awful, and in general, I wonder where, where is that line between selling off and winning titles drawn? Um, as we kind of mentioned earlier on, I think the line is drawn some way back over that way from where Bianchi's gone. But he raises a good point, which is is Bianchi responsible? The way that Argentine clubs are set up, you can't blame the manager entirely, can you? No. The, the, the financial situation means they're going to have to let some players go and yet at the same time the players that Bianchi has let go and the players he's brought back in I think it's more an issue of who Bianchi is, is earmarked to replace the players who've been going out right? As I said two episodes before I think that what Boca needs is a change of president not a manager change because you are the president and, and you have a, a Members that that are with you in the, in the board, and and you you must decide whether the players that the manager asks you are are, are suit your your team. Yeah. Not you. Well, Bianchi asked for Grana. Well, but Grana, you are the, he has proved that he's not for Boca. And that's a, a, only an example. And, and the other thing is that although we say. I mean, River are a good example. River, this this uh, transfer window, have let go. 
Carlos Carboneros left the team. River didn't let him go as such because he wasn't owned by them. He was owned by an investment group. I think they sold him halfway through last season, maybe, for the money. Um, there are a couple of other players who, who've left River's side. And it's been for very clear reasons. River need the cash. They need to break even. Don Ofrio has been honest about this since he came as president. He said we're going to be let some players go. Uh, Lancini was, of course, the other big, big name on. Um, and, and big money, indeed, going to Al Jazeera because River needed to let somebody go as Donofrio said, four six million dollars in order to break even for the financial period. So that's what they did. Um, whereas the players that Boca have let go, the players that, that Soybok enter, um, mentions Noir, Paredes, Paul Fernandez, Blandi, Araujo. Of those, just looking very quickly, I think that the only one who's gone to a foreign club for a serious amount of money is Paredes. Yeah, exactly. Because Noir has gone to Banfield, yeah. Paul Fernandez has gone to Central Rafael he also went to, to San Lorenzo um, this time last year uh, Ralph has gone I think Spain but not a oh you're right yeah okay so here but the majority of them have been going to other Argentine clubs I mean Blandi is the perfect example mm-hmm. Nico Blandi moved to San Lorenzo one year ago because he desperately needed some playing time at Boca he wasn't bothered about winning anything he just wanted to play and to feel like a valued member of the team since moving to San Lorenzo 12 months ago he has won an Argentine championship in the Copa Libertadores and what have Boca Juniors done? and did do worse than than Higliotti that he's now at Boca exactly yeah I think I would agree with Andres that the president and the board of Boca take a huge amount of responsibility mm. um, but But, I, uh, I as would, I said, the I manager still, earmarks the players to come in. Yeah, without question, still lay some of the blame with Bianchi, and I think he's been there long enough, and they've been very active in every single transfer window under Bianchi, enough, with enough of a turnover to say that this season you really should be looking at a team where you go, well, this, this is Bianchi's team, hmm. and it's awful. Yeah. And it's playing, and it, well, it was playing terribly and it was just it was still being built around Riquelme <laughs> I mean his his loss was huge again that wasn't the fault of Bianchi but not being able to adjust to his absence and they are repeating previous mistakes which are uh, signing a lot of players who you don't know if they are uh, capable of playing well for Boca and and, and uh, perhaps uh, not letting Young players to, to show in the team. Like, you, they, they signed uh, Andres Chavez, Caleri, Castellani, Carrizo, Echevarria, and perhaps I forgot anyone, and one or two players more. Uh, and, and it's a whole new team that you have to know each other, they have to start playing, and you have to go give some time. Time that Boca supporters perhaps are not. Uh, going to, to, to give because they are they have been playing bad for one half, a year one year and a half so it's they are running against the time and the t- and, and, and rivals and, and everything and, yeah. and in one one year they have the elections so and, and yeah. next next year coming they've got the Copa Libertadores which is it means more for Boca than for a lot of clubs let's say um, and there 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 are some things about the the qualification qualifiers to the Copa Libertadores which Apparently, Vélez was qualified, then they had to play again a, a match. And wait. Sorry, you're right, yeah. Next year they might have the Copa Libertadores if they win this supposedly to be replayed ridiculous match that shouldn't be taking place. But yeah, you're quite right, Vélez 
should be the club in the Libertadores. I um, think your comparison anyway with with uh, with River as much as oh, Boca wouldn't want to hear that. But it's inevitable. If you're going to be that much worse than one of your main rivals. And one of the things that, that struck me um, was that I, I saw somebody else tweet this, in fact, and, and afterwards realised that it, it was true of pretty much my entire time watching Argentine football, which is since late 2002, so we're talking about 12 years. Um, and he said over the last decade, in the last decade, the gulf in quality between River and Boca is as big as he's ever seen it, including including when River went down. Because when River went down, they actually finished 7th or 8th in the season-long table. They finished 6th in the... Upper, I think it was 6th in the Apertura, wasn't it? And then lower down in the, in the Class Order. But in the season-long table, they finished 7th or 8th. Um, and, you know, when they, yes, they got relegated. In, in terms of league positions, then it, it's undeniable. Um, they got relegated. But in terms of just the quality of the football and the two sides of playing and how together they look as an institution, the golf looks bigger now than it did then. Uh, if it was a, just a season-long table with, you know, a, a league table with whoever finishes at the bottom going down, River wouldn't have been relegated and Boca would be looking at it this season um, because it really does look... I mean, River... And I'm not... I don't say it because I'm a River fan. I don't think the guy who I saw tweeting, I can't remember who it was because it was a month or two ago um, I can't remember who that was but I don't think he was a River fan either but it's difficult to argue with it yeah I mean I'm because Boca are just being run so badly at the moment yeah. and yeah they, they were not run brilliantly immediately after Macri left and River weren't either but even so it didn't it wasn't quite this level of on pitch much of a difference mm-hmm. I will, I'll say this if, if Bianchi had hung on for another five rounds of matches and it had been Gasharo's River at home to Bianchi's Boca in the Super Classico in round 10. And River had continued to improve and Boca continued to get worse as, as things went on. You'd have been looking at an absolute Argentine football history being made on the pitch <laughs> with the, the thrashing that it would have resulted in. Uh, I say this obviously with the confidence of someone who can't possibly be wrong. I will say, but <laughs> I know it's a result, will be historic, but will be stor- the, the, will, the way that teams would be presented, like, Boca, wait no, too, I think, too I much. I think historic is Gachardo's River versus uh, playing as they are doing at the moment versus Bianchi's yes. Boca. Yes. Taking about I the moments could be. They could stick six or seven past them. And as I say, I'm saying it with the confidence of somebody who can't be proved wrong. But anyway, um, Toby Millard asks Which players who were not in the World Cup squad could you see making next year's Copa America squad? La Mela has to be the obvious one. After his performance the other night and after his the start he's had to the season, yeah, yes. yeah. Well, I mean, I think the fact that Martino went straight to Lamella and Gaetan as as the it two corners, never the only two that he had a say in, but uh, gives us some ideas of what he's thinking. Um, with the questions just for the Copa America next next year's Copa America, yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, Cavachero maybe, depending how much playing time he gets at Man City, maybe. Yeah, because I mean, suddenly the, he's turned into the goalkeeper. He's going to be the substitute now, and Romero looks like he might be getting a bit more first team football. Um, someone else we mentioned for other for non football reasons, but Egadi maybe. We'll see. Uh, no, Sorry, I, mean, I had to. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, he is now the main striker in the Milan and scored plenty in pre season. We'll see how he 
Well, Ellen and the How many did he score on Monday? Was it five? No, he scored three and had a hand in the other two. Okay. Which I, is why Diego was there. Uh, <laughs> who was he gone? And how old was he? I can't remember. I mean, it was, yeah, yeah, not, not, not because of his performance on Monday. No, sure, I'm just uh, asking. Uh, I mean, he's someone some who I think could break in. Federico Fascio, anybody? Yeah, for sure. Given that he gave the interview to Radio Marca in Seville in March saying... I think someone had lacks respect for me and that I deserve a call-up, and that basically killed any chance of having a call-up. <laughs> exactly. Up. But I think it, Martino, obviously, is playing under Pochettino now as well, and Pochettino is a friend of Martino's. They played together under Bielsa at Newell's. They're still on good terms. And I think for that reason, as much as anything, Lamela and Fascio have both got to have fantastic chances of, of getting in the squad, as long as they do well. I don't think Martino's is just going to call up anybody out for them. The old boys club. The old boys club, hey. Yes. I didn't even mean to do that. Um, but, you know, they, they have to have good chances because Martino is obviously going to be aware if they're playing well, right? Uh, Andres? Now, I was going to say that I, I, I see Tevez closer than Icardi mm. because uh, Icardi has been busy with his wife <laughs> and, and same as La Bessie right now has been uh, trying to make... Uh, like like a disclaimer because he was uh, relation his relationship was a bit like not in his best times and and, and he was said, he also said that he was with some girls and he tried to say that was that was not true well he's losing time with that the same as Icardi and, and and I think that Tevez in this case he's winning time because he's well we have to see whether he's good or not uh, this season. Juventus, but uh, I see him more. We know, we know that Martino likes him. Ma- Martino. Uh, uh, he said that he will talk with Messi and Macherano to, to see whether they, they don't have a problem. Then yeah. so be called up. Which just goes to show what influence they have on the squad, which is uh, yeah, quite incredible. Yes, but it's also more that they're the the Argentine players that Martino knows best mm. because he played them last season at Barca, and, um, well, and so. also they're the captain and vice captain. Yeah. So it makes sense to, to ask them before. I mean, he's not going to ask all fifteen yeah, sure. really kind of definite starters <laughs> there that are going to be. Um, that response is purely whether Tevez is going to get back into the team because I've got absolutely no doubt whatsoever that Tevez is going to be a success again this season in Italy yes no doubt personality so that's purely where is he going to get called up uh, Ursus Arctos asks given the convincing win in Dusseldorf is anybody in Argentina actually claiming that the team is better without Messi very very easy answer to that one and it is, thank God, no. Because yeah. it wouldn't entirely have surprised me either. I can see exactly why he's asking it, but uh, no, no, they're not. Um, Craig Clark says, was Sunderland flop Claudio Marangoni as good in Argentina as his record suggests, or do the stats lie? I've never heard of him. Shall we look him up? Claudio Marangoni. Uh, is this the Sunderland spot who posted that just before we... No, no, it's over? a different Sunderland fan. Ah, OK. I mean, this might just be, you know, I'm not following football. OK, right, so he's an he's older player. Played for Sunderland between 79 and 80 for one season. So that's why I've not heard him. I feel slightly less stupid now. Um, according to Wikipedia, Craig, <laughs> uh, he did all right in Argentina. He played nine times for the national team. Mm-hmm. Um, his his 
last national team appearance appears to have been just after I was born, so I feel much better about not having heard of him. Um, uh, Andres, how old are you? 35. Can you remember any of his uh, nine matches, the last of which would have been played when you were five years old? He won the Libertadores <laughs> at Independiente in 84. He did. He won the Copa Libertadores at <laughs> Independiente, won the first division title in Independiente, he won the um, uh, Supercopa Sudamericana and the Recopa Sudamericana. They're the same thing, essentially, in 1989 and 90 with Boca Juniors. And he also won the Intercontinental Cup with Independiente in 84. Um, so the answer to that is, ask us again in... Oh, few weeks when we've got Mariano on, if we manage to get Mariano on any time, uh, or possibly Seba. I think he might possibly be. Mariano. Mariano's probably better. Mariano's a few years older than Seba, I think. Well, you could ask <laughs> if he's him. not, he's going to be really angry with me for saying <laughs> that. Um, but yeah, ask us again when we have a slightly older Argentine on, Craig, because unfortunately, we honestly can't tell you anything. I, I would hate to just make an answer up. From his Wikipedia page, he appears to have been quite good, but wouldn't be able to say. Um... Liam Kelly, finally, and as I always say, is no relation to me, <laughs> says, It is good news that Balante is still at River, albeit surprising with the amount of European teams who need a centre-back of his calibre. Will he get in the team at Maidana or Ramon? Ramon? No, sorry, that was my fault. Ramiro Funes Mori's expense. Will he and Teo go in January if good offers are made, or will they stay for the Copa Libertadores? America. Um, the first thing I will say is yes, it's very good news. There were very minor parties on Twitter on Monday night, which of course was transfer deadline night, uh, when the deadline passed in England and Valanta remained a River Plate player. I will admit to joining those in slightly, uh, joining in with those. Um, but yes, it's fantastic news. I think that once he's fit, he's had a, apparently a niggling ankle knock. I actually thought that he was being left out because of the uncertainty over his future and Gashala wanted players who were. Um, completely focused on, on River right now. Apparently it's actually that he had a, an issue with his left ankle, um, a very minor thing, which was keeping him out of the team. Um, and he's going to get into the team possibly this weekend, because Ramiro Funes Mori is injured, and is out for three weeks, I think. No, by then is the one injured, but Funes Mori has oh, been right. playing all the matches. And could could so, be a good, good, good option for, for Gallardo to try if if Alvarez Volante is in good physical form, because we can we have to recall that after he came back from the World Cup, he he was with some in, he mm. was injured and and he couldn't participate. And Gallardo wants the players that have been uh, in, from the beginning of the preseason to be uh, in the in the starting eleven. And Funes Mori has been uh, proving that he was good enough to to be in the starting eleven. So. Absolutely, yeah. Um, my dad's injury, then, sorry, not Finesse Mori's injury, means uh, that Valante is going to be in the team this weekend if he gets back and Teo get back in time and in good physical form because they have a match on Friday evening um, for Colombia against Brazil in Miami, which kicks off at 10 pm Argentine time on Friday night. And River play at. Yes, I, I forgot that about the so Colombia friendly. So. Stupid time. They play at. At six fifteen on Sunday afternoon yeah. at home to it's a no. So the thing is that they're claiming that they're both going to be back in time to play, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. They'd have to get on the plane almost right afterwards. I mean, the time difference. I'd so jet lag wouldn't be too much of a problem, but even so, recovery, no chance. Exactly. Um, it, it's it's not very much of a turnaround time. 
So they're both down as not doubtful or injured or anything like that for my betting preview at least. Um, but they do look unlikely to play this weekend. But my downer is out for three or four weeks. So Balanta's going to come back for the next uh, weekend, the round seven. Um, and will he get in the team? Well, yeah. I mean, Funes Mori is there as his substitute, essentially. Yeah, Funes Mori is playing... No. To a level which means they're not missing Balanta. But yeah. he's playing all, all of the matches, and apparently he's not. Uh, he has no problems. But for example, Mercado had to get up yesterday uh, that night because of uh, yes, he's, he's got an ankle knock or something, hasn't he? Or a thigh strain of some sort. Um, With injuries, I think he comes back into the team. But I don't know. if Pichardo would just immediately with, with if River going forward with the back four intact. Do you know what I like to see? If River were going to play the system that I play on Football Manager, which they're not going to do, however much I try to convince Marcelo about it, um, <laughs> is a back three with those two and, and uh, Balanta as a lever on. Because he's really good taking the ball out when he wants to be. Yeah, he is, yeah. Um, but no, I think it, it, eventually when he comes back in, I think he'll be, he'll be first choice for Funemori. But regarding, in a way, Liam's second question actually feeds into it because... When the Libertadores starts, I think, yes, him and Teo uh, will stay. I think I'm right in saying that Balanta's contract with River goes through to 2015, or possibly even 2016, but it certainly doesn't end next year. Um, and so with the Copa Libertadores, I think if, if River are going into that in good form, that they're going to use that to hang on to... Well, they'll, they'll hang on to Balanta if they want to, and with Teo, it depends where his head's at at the time. Yeah, I mean, I, they're going to try and use it as a I as think with, with Teo, if he carries on the rest of the season like he started, so he's going to finish the season with like over 20 goals. When you say season, you mean the, the championship or? No, no, so running. Uh, hang on, when are we going to finish this one? Just, what? No, no, so at the end of the year. The end, of, the end of this calendar year. Yeah, the end okay. of this calendar year. Okay. So when we're in January, the January transfer window opens up. Yes. If Gutierrez has carried this form through and is sitting there as the top yeah, scorer. If you go a long way into the cup, this is sort of Americano as well. Then, I think yeah. t- the teams will come in for him and he's going to say, right, yeah, okay. regardless. Of the thing is, if you're Balanto or Teo, and you've got the chance, Teo, I mean, as, as we knew before, he moved to River, was a River fan. They're a very popular side in Colombia. It, it sounds stupid to say, but it, it's it's true. There are a lot of Colombians who support River. You, you meet them here in Buenos Aires all the time as well, because there are lots of Colombian students and stuff living here um, who, who, who support River. And if you've got, if you're terrible to get and you've got the chance to be leading the line as a striker in the Copa Libertadores for the team that you've supported. He's a massive dick. Oh no, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> He's a complete moron, and he, he's. No, I mean, I just think at, if, if, you're, if you're a footballer with a little bit of ambition and you've got a choice between staying for another six months and playing the Libertadores and then getting a move to Europe anyway, or moving now six months earlier and losing the chance to win the Libertadores, which is the way River has started this season, the way that they're thinking, and if Gachado stays, is going to be one of the aims. They're, they're going to be aiming to. I mean, well, look, look at last weekend. San Lorenzo just won it and, and River played them off the pitch. So it's, it's not as if it's a completely ridiculous aim to have, uh, especially with the weather. Well, the, the no, no, my, my prediction is, is not at all based on him thinking, I'm not going to win the Libertadores. It's more just, it's Dale. And, yes, no, it's If a European club really comes into him because he's had an outstanding season, 
talking about transition, um, I would be astonished if he said, you know what, I'm going to hang on going to Europe for six months. Because, I mean, I think this is a guy with a massive ego mm. who, I think, is probably playing for River now, thinking, I definitely could be playing for one of the top teams in Europe. <laughs> so, what any team in Europe... Or at least Turkey. Yeah, or Turkey. Or, yeah, I mean... Uh, regardless of who the yeah, team is, I, I fear that you're right. I think um, he'd go. Balanta, I think, is more likely to stay until the end of the season. Uh, he's also the kind of player I think is possibly less likely to attract interest in the middle of the season, anyway. Um, but well, there we go. Push, push. I, I also think Balanta strikes me as, as a younger player, and doesn't hasn't struck me so far in his fledgling career as being. A complete dick. A complete dick. In, in fact, in the um, few interviews yeah. that he's given publicly in Argentina, it appears to be a very, very nice young man. Yeah, it's very grounded. I don't think yeah. he would necessarily be saying, I, I desperately need to go and play. Yeah, whereas Taylor, I mean, Balanta's 20 now, maybe? 2021? Yeah. Whereas Taylor's 29 yeah, exactly. ish, 29, 30, and, and yeah. That, that is something that, that is in favour of him that he has 29 years old, he, he can't, if there's a team from Europe that wants him, really wants him, is now or just perhaps losing the train. But in other way, in other, in the, for in the other hand, he knows that he must know that uh, when uh, as as long as as he plays for River, he's the best player mm. in uh, for River. And, and if he goes, for example, the, the the team that was close to to sign him was Sevilla. I think he wasn't. He won't be the the, the 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 key player there. He will be. He will be one one more, and perhaps the only difference will be, of course, the money, and that's something which, when with at his age, perhaps it's very 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 important. But I see the only difference in in terms of of real uh, change because uh, he would play, he could could play Copa Libertadores for River and and. and Perhaps Europa League for Sevilla. Yeah, but the difference, you're speaking about this realistically. If Teo Gutierrez went to Sevilla, he would yes. go there saying, I'm Sevilla's number nine, I'm their best player, and <laughs> I'm, I'm, he, I'm the star of their but team. But you can say that here. That, that smoke is for here, not for, for Spain, I think. No, I mean, I, I, I'm talking about the mentality of whether or not he would... Before we move on to Mystic Sam, sorry to talk over you, no, no, no. I've been uh, recording for a long time, is the fact that Rosario Centralis and Boca Juniors has just kicked off, uh, has made me realise. Uh, before we move on to Mystic Sam, Peter just wanted to say a very few words um, about Boca Juniors youngster Andres Chavez, who has been mixed up <laughs> in um, a scandal of Brazilian Ronaldo-like proportions. So, Peter, you're the one whose girlfriend has clearly been filling you in on this <laughs> Uh, I didn't think so, I was actually going to get in on this. No, go on. Please, tell us. What, what happened? Uh, the, the latest... Well, I guess, first of all... <laughs> the latest development. <laughs> the latest development, yeah. Um, well, did he score the, the winning goal in, at the weekend? He, he scored at the weekend. They won 3-1. Or maybe the third. Let's have a look. He scored their third goal at oh, the weekend, okay. yes. Yeah, OK. So, um... Yeah, Andres Travis scored the, the third goal in Boca's 3-1 win over Velez and then the next day it came to light that he had celebrated <laughs> with a, I don't know, what's the correct way to, to phrase this is your podcast, I don't want to upset anyone. <laughs> I, I, I've not seen the 
Actually, I've not seen any details of the case at all, so I, I wouldn't want to use words such as transvestites. They weren't transvestites, right? They weren't... Uh, just one. Pardon? Just one, I think. Oh, okay, right. Okay. One transvestite, so it wasn't quite Ronaldo-like proportions. No, just one. Um, spent the night with a, with a transvestite um, who suspiciously since, I don't know, the, 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 the delay in response seems to suggest that maybe someone's paid us some money and said... Can you just try and make this a little bit well, not as bad? She's since said, oh, you didn't know, and nothing <laughs> happened. And, and then I just took the photos because I was annoyed because he actually was really mean to me. But yeah, He, he seemed to it. handle it, bearing in mind his age, he's only very young, he seemed to handle it fairly maturely to me. He said, I'm not going to talk about it, I just want to talk about the football. And you can always talk, talk about, about that, really. <laughs> well, no, of course not, but I mean, he didn't sort of deny that it had happened altogether and... Well, that's a photo. As I say, I've not seen photo. any of the pictures or anything, so I don't know <laughs> how so it's quite difficult. I, I don't know how much plausible deniability you have. But uh, anyway, Peter wanted to make sure that was mentioned in the podcast at some point. And now, ladies and gentlemen, because he's a, a filthy human being, um, <laughs> and now the next music that you hear will be the last piece of incidental music of the night, um, and it will be afterwards you'll hear Mystic Sam's voice telling you what to bet your pocket money on this weekend. So don't go away. Justicia, I think, is a home victory. Racing Club versus Lanús uh, should be a, a Racing win. River Plate versus Tigre. I mean, come on. <laughs> really? River have won 10 matches in a row and Tigre, 10 home matches in the league in a row, um, and Tigre have been rather poor recently, so I think that's a River win. Olimpo de Bahia Blanca versus Boca Juniors, I think is a draw. I think Olimpo are going to tighten up slightly after their last performance. And Quilmes versus Arsenal de Sarandí, I think is also a draw and probably a pretty fucking awful one. Anybody have any thoughts on those? Bear in mind, before you refuse to disagree with me, that I have got a cumulative total of three out of the last 20 matches that I've predicted correct. <laughs> so it's in your interests, ladies and gentlemen, to you know, look credible. Um, in, in the eyes of the world that you disagree very strongly with all of the things I've just said. We don't want to undermine your, uh, your power here, they say. No, that's true. 
you have made it quite clear of this the tyranny. I strongly thing. agree with Kilmes Arsenal. I, I, if you want people to, if, if if you could place bets on a match, not no particular result or score in particular, but just a match being shit, yes. then you place a hefty sum. Oh shit! Sorry about that. If you, you place a hefty sum on Kilmes Arsenal being shit, if they want, it's going to finish five four now. With three if he wants to bet, had the, the the option, the market for. Is this match going to be a shit? Yes. Hmm. For Kilmes Arsenal, definitely. I mean, the, the downside is that it'll be about 20 to 1 on. Yeah, I really don't think bookmakers don't want to do that in the Argentinian market. Oh, but this season, Peter. No. There's a lot of crackers, but no, Kilmes Arsenal is definitely This season, it has to be said, has um, proved to be positively thrilling. It's been a frustrating season for those who like to disparage uh, the Argentine league. I think yeah. I think Guardiola goes to Arsenal and and they play they play they are a bullshit anyway. So indeed. Yeah. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to wrap up for what has been a bumper episode. But that's of course because we've had two rounds of league action, two manager sackings, one of which was major, um, and international. Uh, and, so, Sorry, I missed an article off there and an international match to talk about. Um, uh, as we say already, we apologise to Seb who had to leave early. Uh, he's meeting somebody for dinner and we didn't realise that he was running over. Uh, but it was a pleasure to have you on, Seb. Thank you. Um, and for now, it's uh, also goodbye from Andres. Goodbye. Goodbye from Peter. And goodbye. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.